Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you this morning here to worship. Um, in preparation for Pastor Jerry's sermon, the scripture reading this morning in the Old Testament is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, concerning the sacrifice of Isaac. Hear the word of God. After these things, test, God tested Abram, Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand in the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The reading from the New Testament is from Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God, of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Please pray with me. Thank you, Father, that we belong to you, and someday we will live in your kingdom. And nothing can snatch us from your hand, for we were purchased for a price, and you own us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. 
So we ask for your blessing as we gather today to worship and praise you, the almighty God and Savior. May your spirit speak through Pastor Jerry as he teaches us by your word this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in the book, the letter, the, the gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning, we're looking at chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, if you would give attention to the reading of God's Word. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the witness of John the witness, John the Baptist, and for the author of this gospel that we might have this record. We ask that you would open it to us this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John, the author of the gospel that bears his name, wrote it in later in his life. He might have been 80 years old when he wrote it, about 80 or 90 A.D., two generations after Jesus lived. And he, in this first uh two chapters is very careful about chronology. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chronology. For example, if you go to chapter 1, verse 29, he says, the next day. And then if you go down to verse 35, he says, the next day. And if you go down to verse 43, he says, the next day. And then he says, then they went to Galilee. They were outside of Jerusalem. Then they went to Galilee back north. And then chapter 2, verse 1, he says, on the third day after they got back to Galilee. He's careful about the chronology. This is actually a description of the first week of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Up until this time, he's 30 years old, the age when a, a member of Israel could become a priest at 30 years of age. He has lived privately uh, in submission to his parents and his synagogue and uh, worked and lived, and he was the oldest in his family uh, in obscurity. <clears throat> the Romans didn't know a thing about him. Most of the Jews didn't. 
The Egyptians, the world, didn't know very much about him. Now, he comes onto the scene publicly. And we have an eyewitness account of that first week. The reason we think this is that we see signs of an author. For example, he says, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. This is what happened day by day because I was there. In fact, down here in chapter 1, verse 39, we'll look at next week, says it was about the 10th hour, and the Jews measured time from uh, sunup to sundown. So if the sun came up at 6 a.m., this would be 4 p.m. It was the end of the day. And he says that there were two disciples of John standing there, and when he heard this saying, the Lamb of God, uh, it said they turned and followed him, and then one of them, and Andrew, went and got his brother. Well, who was the other one? If one was Andrew, who was the other? And then later on, we see this thing that there's this disciple that's leaning on the breast of Jesus at the uh, upper room, the Last Supper, and the disciple that Jesus loved. And then when they're having a trial for him, there's a young man that they say he was with the disciple and he said no and ran away and they grabbed at him and pulled off his outer cloak. These are unnamed sightings, but they're evidence of an author who wants you to know that he was present at the first week of public ministry. He was present at the Last Supper. He was present at the crucifixion. In fact, Jesus turned to him and said, John, behold your mother Mary. Mary, behold your son John. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, then went with and lived with John, the writer of this uh, gospel, and he became kind of the oldest and apostle in residence in uh, Ephesus, which Paul had labored for three years and became a great center of Christendom in the first and second century. And so John lived there, he was, he was his uh, kind of the bishop, and Mary was there with him, and she lived there till the end of her days. And so John and Mary are both buried in uh, Ephesus, uh, Asia Minor. So he is saying, I was there, I saw this, you see. And what makes it uh, doubly important is it turns out that John was a disciple of John the Baptist, John the Witness, who Jesus said was the greatest human being born among women, from women. And he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he said, my job is to level the ground and prepare the ground for the anointed one, the Messiah, to come. That's my job. And so he attracted disciples to him and 200 years later, there were still disciples of John the Baptist going around. In fact, there's a whole denomination that's the disciples of John the Baptist, isn't it? Called the Southern Baptists. <laughs> I grew up Southern Baptist, so I always like to put in a plug for them. And um, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was one of these two that when John said, Behold, a Lamb of God. They turned and followed Jesus. See, he loved John the Baptist. He revered him. 
And he put him up as the first and number one witness that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is what the number one witness says. The next day, John saw Jesus uh, coming toward him. Now, see, this is the second day. The first day, he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I baptize with water. There is one who stands among you, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And John, the apostle, and Andrew left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. He was there. This is what he heard and what he saw. And his leader, John the Baptist, said, he is the one. Well, how do you know he's the one? And he said, because God told me. When you see the Holy Spirit descending upon him, he is the one. And if you turn, or I'll give you, you can look later, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to stop him, and he said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me to be baptized? You see, John the Baptist and Jesus were relatives, first, second cousin, something like that. So John knew who Jesus was. He grew up with him. Not only that, he knew him well enough to know <clears throat> that Jesus did not need a baptism of repentance. He said, I do, the baptizer, but you don't. And Jesus said these words, let it be so now. It's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighted on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is what John saw and heard, and so he said, I know who he was. He's my cousin Jesus, but I didn't know what he was because he looked so normal. But when I saw that dove and when I heard that voice, I now know and testify he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, the Christ the one sent by God to redeem his people. And he used a word to describe him, a metaphor. I said earlier, there's a frog in my throat. And I said, that's not literal, that's a metaphor. It's a mental picture of a reality in order to give a mental picture that lights up your brain and sticks with you. So when you think of a frog in someone's throat, you say, okay, I got that. See, uh, a simile is the same thing, but you use like or as. Boy, my throat sounds like a like a frog. See, that's a simile. You use the word like. But if you just say there's a frog in my throat, that's a metaphor. You automatically know there's not a frog in my throat. 
but it gives you a mental picture. And so John uses this mental picture, Lamb of God, okay? He doesn't mean he's literally a lamb, does he? No one has a problem with that. It means it's a metaphor. Well, wait a minute. What does the metaphor mean? Frog in my throat means it goes, you got the picture. What does Lamb of God mean? You have an outline in your bulletin on page four. God, the creator of the universe, the leader of the people of Israel, spent 2,000 years developing this metaphor. So that when he used it, skyrockets and Roman candles went off in John and Andrew's mind. And they were galvanized. And I want to bring you that insight this morning. John was enamored of this metaphor, Lamb of God. He uses it, how did I write it down? 70 times in the book of Revelation. And we're going to end up there. But we're going to start in the book of Genesis. I have it laid out there for you, and I've even added some. First of all, in Genesis 4, it says that um, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil, the children of Adam and Eve. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. So one is a farmer and one is a shepherd. And so they come, based on information from Adam and Eve and from God himself, that it is their responsibility to give worship and homage to the one who blessed the soil and gave them animals, to the one who brought the sunshine and the rain, to the one who created them and gave them life. And so they come. Now, it might be that God was looking at their hearts the way they offered. And so he distinguished between one offering and the other, and he was proven to be right by Cain's reaction. But the offerings themselves can indicate something because uh, Cain brought some fruit of the ground. Uh, Excuse me. And Abel brought a sheep. But look what it says. Fat portions from some of the firstborn. Well, it wasn't until after the flood in Genesis 9 that God gave mankind permission to kill and eat animals. So when he killed this lamb and cut out the fat portions to be burned in offering, he was committing an incredible sacrilege unless he understood something. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And God had killed animals in the Garden of Eden to clothe Adam and Eve. He understood that sin, the wages of sin is death, And the only way to pay for sin is to die. And so he killed one of his lambs, the firstborn, the best. And he cut it up and he brought the fat portions. How many? many? Was that 10? 
Did I hit 10 already? Okay, everybody say, lamb. lamb. Okay, you got it. I didn't know I'd hit it so soon. <clears throat> I might hit 70, just like Revelation. You see, he had understood that there was nothing he could bring to God but blood. Cain said, hey, the fruit of my labor is good enough for God. He should be satisfied with that. See, there are two types of people in the world. The world that says, I'll bring my good works. I'll bring the fruit of my labor. And I'll lay up before God, and he should be pleased with that because that's what I did. And Abel said, I've got to bring a sacrifice for my sin. So even at the beginning, there was a division. Those that brought their own works, those that brought a lamb. Then we go on over, and now we're going to uh, Genesis 22. This was read earlier, uh, and this is Abraham and Isaac, and, they, and uh, God says, uh, sacrifice your son to me, your one and only son, and he is the promised son that will fulfill all the promises I've given to you and your people that your children will be like the stars in the sky and the sands on the ocean. And so he gathered the wood and the fire, and he took two servants and some donkeys, and they traveled three days. Well, there were mountains near Abraham. Why did he have to travel three days? Because he had to go to the mountain that was part of Jerusalem. You see, when God is the creator and he's the author of all scripture, you can begin to see themes going through scripture. The sacrifice needed to be made at Jerusalem. So he traveled three days, and he got to the mountain, and he told his servants, you stay here, and we're going to go up on the mountain. And, he, and Abraham carried the fire and the knife, and he put the wood on the back of Isaac, his son. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up, and he said, hey, Dad. And Abraham said, yes, son. He said, we got wood, we got fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And this was before the temple. They knew about sacrifice from Abel. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And that's where you get in Hebrew, Jehovah-Jireh. God, the provider, or God, the one who answers, who will answer for it, the one who provides. He said, God will provide the lamb. And that's what he did. And he took his son and he bound him because he was afraid his son would wriggle away. I would. And he laid him up on that wood and he took a stone flint knife. And God said, don't you touch that child. And he looked, and there was a ram with his horns, a lamb, stuck. And that's why he called that mountain Jehovah-Jireh. A lamb was dying. And then we go over to Exodus uh, chapter 12. And God had sent plagues on the Egyptians to show them that their gods were not powerful. And still... Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, no, the people of God cannot leave to worship God. 
He opposed the will of God for his people. And so God said the final sign will be this. The angel of death will go throughout Egypt and the firstborn of every household, firstborn son will die, including Pharaoh's son, the next Pharaoh. And he said to the Jews, but you do this, kill a lamb. Take his blood and spread it on the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death comes by, he will see the blood of the lamb. And he will pass over your house. And so Moses said, take the Passover lamb and put the blood on your house. And that's what happened. And then Pharaoh called in Moses and said, my son is dead. Take your people and go and fulfill the will of God. I will no longer stand in your way. The Passover lamb. And then we come way on over here uh, to Exodus chapter 29. And this is what Aaron the priest is supposed to do. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Every day morning and evening kill a lamb pour out his blood and burn his fat so every day in the history of Israel every morning and every moon evening sunrise sunset two lambs were killed every day for 2000 years can you understand then that when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb, Eke, look at him, consider, stop what you're doing and gaze upon him. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And of all the people, who had gathered to be baptized and all the Pharisees and the Jews and the priests, it only records that two people stopped what they were doing and followed Jesus, John and Andrew. Many shall hear, but few shall listen because God has to work in the heart to open the eyes and enlighten the mind and soften the heart and free the will so that people can do what John the Baptist is. He looked on Jesus and he said, here he is. You see, that's what we're called upon. That's my primary job as a pastor. This is your primary job as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Two parts. Look at Jesus. You can't tell anybody about him until you've seen him. You can't tell anybody who he is and what he is until you've taken time to read and think and study and hear preaching and go to Sunday school and go to small groups and read your Bible and use a concordance and follow the word Lamb of God. And then you can say, like John the Baptist, I have seen 
who and what Jesus is. And I want to tell you, there he is, your lamb, the fruit of your hands, like Cain, will not pay for your sin. Blood must be shed, and God has provided, Jehovah Jireh, a lamb for you. This is the lamb of God that can take away your sin. How do I know? Because I looked and beheld, and I saw who he was and what he is, and I want to tell you about him. That's John the Baptist's job. That is my job, and that is your job. However long I live on the earth, I know what my job is. And however much I till the soil and bring fruits forth through the blessing of God, my main job is to tell, is to do this. Look on Jesus and then tell people about him. And that's what John did and that's how John and Andrew heard about it. And then Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us had turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that's preparation and revelation. And now propitiation from 1 Peter says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And you can see how he took the whole Old Testament, Genesis through Isaiah, and he wove this thing through. A lamb, Cain and Abel. A lamb with Abraham and Isaac. A lamb with the exodus of the Jews. Two lambs every day. Why did they have to do it every day? Was it once enough? No. Because they were metaphors. They only were a stopgap. They were a short-term solution that God in his grace said, if you will trust in my provision, which is a lamb, then I will withhold my judgment until the real lamb comes. And so when the real lamb came, he was sacrificed once for all because he fully paid the price for our sins and even sufficient for the sins of the world. And that's why next Sunday when we bring this table and put it down here, and we put in there the blood of Christ and the body of Christ represented by the wine and the bread. 
we're not sacrificing Christ again. We are remembering his sacrifice and looking forward to his kingdom. But we don't do another sacrifice because he died once and for all. So there you have preparation, revelation, propitiation. Does he give up being a lamb when he was risen and ascended and sits at the right hand of God in all power and authority, and he will one day return and rule the world. Let's go back to heaven. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. You can turn to me there because I'm going to read the whole chapter. Or you can listen. Scripture was written to be listened to. And I'm actually going to read the NIV, so don't get confused. So you listen. Now, John, the author of John, has been taken up to heaven and shown these things to write them down for me and you. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing inside and out and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls and reveal truth? How men can be saved, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open this scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside and tell me how to be saved. Then one of the elders <clears throat> said to me, Don't cry. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, sent out into all the worth to, share, to spread his word. The lamb came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. <clears throat> and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, thousands of angels, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. <clears throat> and in a loud voice they sang. What did they sing? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the earth and all that is in them saying, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power 
forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Jesus has hundreds of names in the Bible. If you were to stand and recite them all, it would take you almost half an hour. But this one is the one that speaks to us because he is our lamb, slain for our sin, but recognized, risen, and ruling. And he still looks like a lamb who was slain. He will for all eternity. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a great author and that you use metaphors and similes to describe to us in picturesque ways deep truths And we thank you from Genesis to Revelation, you have used the Lamb to describe the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he has done. We thank you and praise you for that as only people whose blood, the blood of Jesus has saved, can say, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, amen.